All right, and welcome back to the HFW Shop Talk podcast. This is episode seven, and today we have Rich Hender with us. Rich is one of our uh, senior machinists. He's been with us a long time, um, seen a lot, run a lot of different machines and different equipment, and we're excited to have him. So, Rich, thanks for being here today. So, I guess to to start, let's take it back a little while. We'd like to hear, you know, I, we know we see where you're at now, kind of see the 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 culmination of, of all your years of experience and, um, you know, what's gotten you here today. But I'd like to hear more about kind of where that started and, um, you know, you're obviously reaching kind of the you're toward the end of your career. But what can you talk about your upbringing and what what got you into the industry and what got you interested in? Uh, machining and working with your hands in the first place? Well, my upbringing is like typical 1960s, 1970s, kind of stern parents. My father was a sergeant in the Army Air Corps in World War II, so it's a, he was stern. He wasn't mean, but he was everything had to be done now, 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 now. But then again, you had tons of freedom. I was the youngest of four. They didn't care what you did, <laughs> as long as you didn't get in jail. It's pretty much like it. Um, grammar school was just typical grammar school in the city of Buffalo. You could a lot more freedom back there. Like we lived part of our life on the east side of Buffalo. And like, I remember being like six years old, walked down the street and watched the cattle come into the slaughterhouse <laughs> Wow! and some of them in pretty bad shape, but now you can't do stuff like that. No, It's like, and we go to the local parks. Nobody was there ever with you. Stuff you can't, which fun, but you can't do now. Yeah. Um, high school was almost all math and science classes. I loved working with my hands. Back then, it was like they either pushed you. They literally their term was only the dumb kids take shop class, oh. and um, so I was in all college prep classes, and I prefer to work with my hands. And so it was just high school was very easy and very boring. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's uh, you're going to get me going on a little bit of a rant, but I, I think that that's one of the things that now, as we see, you know, we have guys in your position who uh, are looking to retire. You've worked hard to earn that, uh, and the the issue that we're looking at and especially in the trades is there just there's no one is er, er, the number of people leaving is far greater than the people coming in and i think a lot of it goes to exactly what you said and it's actually interesting to hear you you say that even back then um you still had that perception that only the dumb kids are in the trades or or using their hands my father went to the guidance counselors and said my son likes working his hands can he take shop classes that literally is what they told my father only the dumb kids his IQ level's too high to take shop classes. That's, I think it's when we, I was talking with uh, BOCES and they were say, it, and they were asking, well, how do we, how do we get more people interested? And I think the counselors in high school play a large um, role in that, they, in, in shaping what people do. And I think that we, we have to change their opinion of it and, and show that there are great careers here. I mean, you're a great example of it. Um, and I think it's, it's, Honestly, I think a lot of times the trades and with what we do, it's more fulfilling than a lot of the the jobs that, you know, you go into an office every day, spend eight hours there and walk out. And um, I'm not saying there aren't jobs that are like that, that aren't fulfilling. I know some people are very fulfilled by that, but I don't know. There's just something different about it, having that tangible result. And you can make very similar, if not even more money than a lot of those jobs. And um, what one of the things I think hopefully that we can help change with this podcast and with other marketing we got our marketing guy here with us is changing that perception of what it means to work in the trades um so you're about to graduate high school you you said you'd already kind of shown that that penchant for wanting to work with your hands what what were you thinking 
uh, was the next logical step. Well, when I graduated high school, I had a scholarship to UB for the engineering school. I had another offer through ROTC to go like four years of college, two years of flight school, and it was a nine-year commitment. And at 18, the Vietnam War was just winding down. It just really, that one just didn't sound great. (laughs) So I went to UB and just couldn't sit. Yeah. Not one just to sit all day. And you were in these classes and it was just, I realized sitting at a desk wasn't for me. Yeah. I, I, it's awesome hearing you say this because you're validating a lot of kind of, I think the thoughts I had, you're the perfect example of, you know, school, just because you don't like school doesn't mean you can't do school. I mean, you, you, you're the, you just said you were a very good student, but just that wasn't what you were set up to do. No, just not my thing. Yeah. Then I went to a trade school for auto mechanics because I liked working on my own car and that. And I liked doing it up to, enjoyed work as a mechanic up to the point where you realize in the winter you're standing under <laughs> a car and you get hit in the face with slush <laughs> and grease and it was just not what I wanted to do. And then I did automotive machining. And then um, it was just a set of circumstance. I got offered an entry-level job in a machine shop in South Buffalo. And then... um. That was in 84 and I was going to try it for five years and now it's 40 years later. <laughs> yeah, wow. I think that's, it's, uh, I've had the same realization. Um, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Uh, I like doing that stuff too. I've tried to teach myself how to work on my car. Being around guys like you in the shop is really helpful because I learned a lot of free tips. Uh, but I've also realized uh, sometimes it's just better to pay the hundred bucks to change your oil than get it all over your driveway. And uh, then you have to store it and get rid of it. And, uh, that doesn't mean I'm not going to still try, but, <laughs> um, so you're now, like you just said, 40 years later, here you are one of HFW's more veteran experienced machinists. Uh, you've seen a lot of different things. When, what, what advice would you give someone? Obviously now I, I think we're starting to see more and more young guys come in. We started to have a little bit more of a flow in, which is good. What advice would you give them? And I guess by extension, would you tell your, your younger self that maybe that you didn't know then you didn't realize then when you were when you were that younger guy. I think too many people take whether it's this job or desk job, they look at the money part. And I think you really got to figure something you're going to enjoy doing every day. I mean, there's days where just nobody likes their job. It's yeah. just a bad day. They have some personal going on or just bad project. But on the whole, you got to do this. That's a lot of years to do it. Yeah, I'm reading a job right now or a book right now rather that talks about. There's so many jobs where um, there you really don't do that much, and that sounds great. You're getting and his his whole the, the one premise of the book was, isn't that great? You're getting paid to do nothing, but it talks about the boredom on the mind and and having nothing to do. I mean that really eats away. And when you're spending most of your waking hours there, that's a tough way to spend a living or to make a living. So um, I think that's again one of the things is great about the industry and, and uh, is just the opportunity to, to try different things. I mean, even here at a shop that we're a, a mid-sized shop, I'd say um, there's all different opportunities and you, I mean, you're working on different stuff all of the time. Um, I, I think it's, it's just interesting to see. And I, I, it's always, this is one of the benefits of this podcast is getting to hear different stories too. the stories. I mean, you've told me several stories, um, not about yourself necessarily, but about other guys that we won't repeat here. <laughs> but uh, I, I just the stories you hear and the the um, the camaraderie. I don't know. I, I think there's something to be said about it, and it seems like I think you've had a similar experience. Yeah, I would say it, 
really before like social media, you had a lot more interaction with your fellow employees. You used to have a lot of company picnics and you got to know each other's family life. I mean, some of the guys I used to work with, I knew them from when they were single up to their grandparents. So uh-huh. uh, it was kind of neat. You got the, you, you started knowing the whole family. So you had a kind of a close knit group. What do you see now? So now we talked about um, you're the veteran guy. What do you, what are, what are the changes? And obviously you got the computers and in, in that, but what are the other changes you've noticed throughout your career, good and bad in, in the industry as a whole? And, um, just being a, a, a person, uh, in the trades. I think when I started, it was more like a craft type industry. You had to be very good and very talented with your hands and picturing something in your mind. Now it's more, like you said, more computerized and you have to be more number savvy, I guess you could call it, where before you would, you could, now you have like speeds and feeds and depths of cut and you have all these charts and it used to be like you took a cut and you just would like listen to the machine cut. You look at the chips, you could just kind of get, you got a feel for it. Like, like playing in sports, you got to get a feel for what you're doing. And, and it's changed like the guys that I taught were probably almost all World War II veteran guys, the older, elder guys. And from when they started to the retired, I don't think the industry changed much. From when I started, it was, if your drill got dull, you didn't get a new drill. You went to the grinder, you sharpened it. If your tool, most tools were like brace carbide or high-speed tooling. If you needed a form tool, it wasn't programmed. If you needed a big radius, you went to the grinder and you made a tool that was going to cut that profile. Now you plug in numbers and you go from there. I think it's interesting. I I think that's probably... um where the computers come in, where everything can be calculated. And, and I think there's a lot of benefit, obviously as a CNC machinist, I I think you're probably on the, you see a lot of that, but it's also taking away a little bit of the, I guess like the exploration of it or, or just the T like you said, the craft angle of it. And it's, 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 it's very different. I think that's how we, I, from an employment angle, it's how do you keep the fulfillment, you know, is what you can, teach like it, it sounds like to me you when you came in it was very much you were basically a, a, a practical engineer you were using all your engineering skills and putting them in, into practice right? correct and now it's, it's changed to where you still need to have a lot of skill but it's, it's very different it's it's much more um like you said numbers based and uh, instead of necessarily there's still problem solving but it's a little bit more mathematical and figuring out um how to process it in a certain way it's it, just different well a lot of stuff like one of the first jobs I did was all gang drills. It was a ser- just series of drill presses, drilling holes, different size holes, tapping. Now it's not cost effective to do it that way. It just it's it was tedious, it was messy, and it just really wasn't cost effective. Now you would put it in a fixture in a CNC mill and hit the button, and more accurate. It's faster. It's just a way better system, and that really just. That wasn't a fun job. It was like hour after hour drilling holes. <laughs> well, that didn't that didn't help the perception of the trades either, right? It, it, you're you're coming home soaked in oil, and you got chips all over you. And uh, we still have some of that. And I know I can say, like us personally, we're trying to, or as a business, we're trying to um, make sure that our guys aren't like that. I know we're looking at different. Uh, we've got misfits on a bunch of the equipment. Um, adding more. Your your equipment's all completely enclosed, correct? Um, but that's not. I, I th- and we, you know, our shop's bright now. It used to be, you know, the shop you used to walk into any shop and it, 
it'd be dark and dingy and that's not the reality anymore no it's a lot safer now too it's like when you first started it's like if there was a machine that was really loud and screaming and you asked one of the guys a bit what do you do about the noise they're like hey you get used to it no you went deaf is what you were doing and um they use a lot of cutting oil that was sulfur based and guys would smoke cigarettes while they're doing it <laughs> most of them have passed yeah i wonder why it just it was it's like that wasn't a safe environment well which and that's it, why which that's is, where it comes makes from. it a lot better now it's like you don't really it takes that worry off your mind of what a, you know what i'm subjugating myself to well and i, I think that's um there's been a, obviously a lot of different reasons for that I, social media is one social media holds like it or not, I think it holds people more accountable. Um, and, and businesses too, you know, a business, I know some, it's easy for a business leaders to be on edge because they know if you're not watching, you're watching what you're doing, you can go viral. And I think, I think that it's an accountability measure, which, um, in some ways it's bad. I know, you know, people talk about, I, you even sort of said, it, you know, you could just be a kid, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. Whereas today that, you know, there's, you have to worry about danger, you have to, but also, you know, you have to worry about what's going to end up online. And, um, but I think there are positives to that too. And the, like safety is one. Um, I, and I think that that's, we talk about being a good employer. It's, and we had Jason on and, uh, it starts with safety and it starts with, um, uh, making sure that everyone's coming in and, and getting better every day, not getting worse, which I think is what you had with, uh, um, with some of the older, uh, older ways of doing things and where I was just the status quo and that was what happened. Um, I look at it now too, like, uh, I think as an employer, you should want not only to obviously not injure people and or, and have people walk out of the job uh, worse than they came in, but also caring about people's health. I think you're seeing a lot of that and um, caring about people as the whole person because like you, you mentioned it, Eliza's mentioned it. Uh, I think most people on the podcast have mentioned it. Anything you have going on in your personal life, whether it's a health issue or a family issue, you can't just leave that out, right? You don't just walk in the door. No, and- you're supposed to give you like, oh, leave home at home and work at work. And that's impossible. It's like. If you're having a really bad day at home, it carries in. There's just no way you can, maybe some people, most people can't turn it off. No. And so it's nice to have the additional safety factors at work too, where sometimes it needs to cover for your own lack of concentration. Well, and that's the, you know, what we do is is very precise work and and something can go wrong in an instant. But I think that's, it's kind of one of the, I think it keeps you engaged. It's, it's fun. Uh, it, it, because our, you know, our tolerances are really, really tight and you have to meet it. But like you said, things can go wrong very quickly. And, um, that's why there's a reason the safety is in place. You know, when we, uh, I know some of our customers we have, you know, you walk on their site and the safety measures are very, very strict. And like, uh, my, my father's always saying it's because they know something can go very, very wrong in very, very, a very, very short amount of time. Um, so I, I think it's just measuring that and, um, yeah, I, I know safety can kind of be a, a topic that irks some people because it, you know, sometimes safety feels like you're just trying to inconvenience others. And I think there's, there's angles of that. You don't, I think there's two, there's two types of safety. There's safety to keep people safe and, and care for people, which I think is what safety should be about. And then there's safety just to cover your butt so you don't get sued. And I think that's kind of the wrong, the wrong way to do safety. And I think the right way is just, just to care for people. You don't want people getting hurt. I mean, that's just, that's just the right way to do it. Um, which I think is one of the benefits. I think we're, I think you, more businesses are, that's kind of more the expectation now. Um, so more personally, I guess, getting into the, the personal side, which for me is always one of the, the fun parts of the episode. 
how would you say you've changed from when you started out in the industry in your 20s and, and 30s to where you are today in your life? I see that question. I kept trying to figure it out. It's like you, you really change tons and you don't think about it. It's just like, um, oh, I think most people like in their 20s, you think you know everything. You There's elderly guys, elderly people nowadays, <laughs> and you like you listen to them. You're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I don't care. And um, then now you get to the age, my age and you look back like, I wish I'd have listened to that person a little more. And maybe I shouldn't have listened to some people <laughs> because they've gotten me in a lot of trouble. But I mean. Well, I'm, I'm trying to take your advice now uh, and I don't know, I, I like listening to you and and, and others who have all the stories. I, the stories are the fun part and um, it's kind of when times were tough, those are those end up being the good stories. And so I try to try to use those and, and hopefully avoid some of those situations. But then I, I kind of, you know, the, the tough situations are what bring people together, too. I think you start to learn, too, is, at least I have. It's like rush. You get a job and just throw it in a machine and rushing it is sometimes the worst thing you can do because you need to maybe have a cup of coffee and spend 10 minutes and looking at what you're doing because you might see the first operation isn't going to work as well as you think. And it's going to make a nightmare down the road. And sometimes it looks like you're doing nothing, but the 15 minutes you spend might save you hours of production costs down the road. I think that I, comes with experience. Yeah, you learn you learn start to learn patience and you learn to work at your own pace and Yeah. Well, cuz some of that's counterintuitive, right? You spend a little bit more time now and it, you might feel like, "Oh, I'm wasting this time." But then it, it it saves your butt down the line. Yes. So, I know you're into woodworking. Um and you've told me a little bit, but I'd like to hear a little bit more I think you told me that started with with your shop. Seventh class. and eighth grade shop. Uh, teacher Mr. Doherty, he was funny guy and it's like <laughs> he would make these he, his first class he always made a bet he took elmer school glue took two pieces of wood he would just put the glue between and rub the boards together and put them in a vice yeah i finally did this every year and he'd always bet the whole class which you think is stronger the glue joint or the wood and it was a he always said the glue joint no every laughed and he would bet 10 push-ups and delmer school glue joint held in the would failed and he but it was a great influence i mean i enjoyed the heck out of it because that's probably the first thing i had somebody actually teaching you to work with your hands and then um actually probably really got back into it after we bought a house we mm -hmm. um i grew up in an old house in south buffalo and had uh, like the victorian style cabinets with the beadboard and the glass mm -hmm. doors and i loved them when we got a price on them for our house it was like five times the cost of what it you know like like a Lowe's type cabinet would be. And so I said, what the heck? I take a shot at it. And so um, I ordered a bunch of lumber. I bought some tools and I did most of it with antique hand tools wow. because it's also, it was quiet. You yeah. can actually do it without listening to machine scream. And <laughs> I built my own cabinets and just kind of snowballed from there. Wow. That's super cool. I, I think that's one of the, the, the benefits that you can't measure and, and that I really appreciate about like a business like HFW is um, you've got all these guys like yourself that do stuff. You know, I've heard all sorts of stories just like that, you know, like just very resourceful, right? Like, like you were able to take something and you're like, well, I could do that. And, and actually like, kind of like you were saying earlier with running a machine, you were able to, you didn't have plans in front of you, you kind of just figured it out and worked your way through. And I think, um, I don't know. Those are just the type of people I like being around. I like hearing those stories and then hopefully learning a thing or two along the way. So what is something most people at HFW might not know about you? 
I think that I gave up college to work as a machinist. They probably <laughs> would think I was insane. <laughs> I don't know. Well, it's a pretty open book. I really yeah, <laughs> that, that, that's also one of the fun things about the shop in general. I think most guys are in it. Like we said, um, not all of it's uh, we're able to share here, but <laughs> that, I mean, it keeps it fun. You actually mentioned, you know, with woodworking with your shop class and how much of an influence that was to you. And I, and I was just that made me think back to my experience. And and I think I had a sim- similar experience to you. Um, well, first I was I was told, well, you you can take the tech classes, but, you know, that's normally where, you know, the bad kids normally take the kids right. you don't really want to hang out with. And I actually didn't find that to be true. A lot of the kids I, I was in those classes with have gone on to be engineers. So. Um, they weren't exactly stupid, but also, um, I just remember we had a, a similar, when you, you were talking about putting the wood and the glue and the vice, it made me remember when we built, uh, bridges out of timber, like small bridges. And then they tried to crush them. It was, it, we had a competition to see who could build the strongest bridge. And I think that was, I feel like every, every student should have to do that in high school because there were no plans. They didn't tell you how to do it. You had to take the resources you had and figure out. How do I build the strongest bridge? You had to do your own research and then you had to go about building it and figuring out a way to build it. And uh, luckily I was like a sophomore, maybe I had a junior or senior that was helping me. So uh, we ended up winning, uh, not because of me, but I, I just that experience of uh, it's unstructured. You don't know what you're doing. You just have to turn it into something and see what happens. I think that's a, pl- even if you don't go into the trades, I think that's applicable to anyone. Oh, I think it's useful just in your everyday life. Right. You'll see people have a flat tire and they have no idea how to change a flat tire. Exactly. I, I was going to bring that that exact point up. Like, I think it's, or, or you have, you know, your toilet's clogged or something and you just immediately call the plumber. I mean, not only is it a pain, but you're, you know, you're spending extra money and just teaching basic things, even changing a light bulb out and, you know, what kind of light bulb do you need? I feel like that, hopefully that's simple, but I, for a lot of people, I'm not so sure. Well, both my granddaughters have workbenches in my shop. So I think they like to build, which usually is glue, glitter, and who knows what. But they 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 know how to use hand some hand tools. They can know they know the difference between a Phillips and a straight screwdriver, which wow. people in their forties and fifties don't. Um, they know how to use hand saws. And, and see, I think I, I I well, I think that's I think and social that's, media. That's a ton. It's a fun just training somebody like that. Yeah, I think social media actually could it can be helpful in that regard because it I know it it there's people that have these like craft sites, right? And you go on and you see them. Right. And, and so you're able, they're able to spread that a little bit and get people interested in some of these, uh, I guess like old world type stuff and, um, hopefully keep the, keep the legacy and the heritage and the history, um, together and moving into the future. Um, so we've covered a lot today, Rich, but I, I, I guess changing into the future, what, what are you looking forward to? And, and, you know, what gets you up in the morning? What, what gets you excited? What, what are you looking forward to in, in the years ahead? Well, I'm close to retirement, so yeah. I really want to explore how much I can push my woodwork, and I do enjoy that. Um, spending more time with my family, especially my granddaughters, they're in Rochester, so it's I don't see that much of them. Yeah, where that's where social the technology is nice. So I, t- I FaceTime them every week, and we talk. And oh, FaceTime is really nice. I can attest to that. So without that, if it was back like when I was their age grandfather was in Jamestown. I was lucky I seen him twice in my life because just you just didn't do that. It's like so yeah, so technology's great if you use it the right way. Yeah. Was your grandfather I'm just curious, I'm trying to put dates together. Was your grandfather, would he have been born in the eighteen hundreds? Um 
I believe so. My dad was born 1929, I believe it was. Okay. My mother was 23. So, yeah, he would have been born then. Right around there. In fact, he was, um, my grandfather was placed on business at Crawford Furniture in Jamestown. He made all the prototypes. Wow. And that's that was different, too. Like, woodworking back in the um, 70s was really production woodworking. Nobody bought handmade single piece items. Mm-hmm. So, where that's where things have changed. Now, people will pay i shouldn't not just because of money right but they like one-of-a-kind handmade pieces where back in the 70s everybody wanted that mass-produced you know <laughs> key, key, uh, ikea type stuff yeah i think it's cool how that stuff kind of changes and that's i've changed my purchasing habits a little bit to like want to look for exactly what you're talking about the the, the handmade stuff the stuff that's made you, or at least just you know where it's made. Like, right, like so much of our stuff is just built across the world in some dark and dingy building <laughs> like that used to exist in the U.S. And I don't know, it's nice knowing where your stuff comes from, who made it. It's being done the right way um, by tr- tradespeople that aren't being abused and aren't, you know, they're making a living wage. And I don't know, I, I think it's, I, I, I've changed a little bit because I, I like I like a good deal, but I also think it's it's, it's like you were saying, it's sometimes the better deal to actually spend a little bit more on, on quality goods. Well, there is, when you get into woodworking, there is a lot of quality, like Japanese chisels, if you ever really get into that. They're, they're laminated steel. My wife ever heard how much I paid for them, she'd not be happy. And, <laughs> but they're amazing tools. They're just way superior than American-made chisels. And I found out the American-made chisels are, could be that good. But they said the average American doesn't know how to use a good chisel. <laughs> so they basically dumb down tools sometimes. But yeah, a lot of your American products are very superior too. I, I it, We could get going down a rabbit hole about Japanese. I'm a huge Toyota fan. And they're, they're hair, obviously they're a Japanese company. And a lot of Toyota as a company is in their heritage. Is, uh, you can see the Japanese roots and, and just the, the insistence on quality and building things the right way, even to this day. Um, it's, it's, and it's even interesting to go look back at Japanese history and look at, you know, that country was decimated coming out of world war two and looking what they've turned into. Um, now they got some challenges actually, because most it, somewhat similar to the trades, most of their, their country, their country is very old. And so looking at the challenges that they have in the future now, um, but I, I think it's cool to, to explore kind of the, um, like you were talking about the Japanese stuff. Well, didn't. Toyota developed the whole lean manufacturing. Yeah, well, oh, we could we could talk about this because I went through too. a Kaizen event. So. Yeah, <laughs> well, well, that's the thing with that. I I think with with to- Toyota developed lean, and but and, and so every company then was like, oh, we have to adopt lean. But every company, not every company, a lot of companies just took the bullet point summary at the top of the page and they're like, okay, let's go do that. It's going to save us a bunch of money. But lean as Toyota thinks of it as, as a philosophy, it's a way of doing things. It's not just to cut cost. That's that's one of the results that you can get is it saves money, but it's not just to cut cost. And I think a lot of American companies are like, oh, we can save a million dollars and didn't read the whole thing and look at the philosophy behind it. And then even, you know, you saw lean with COVID, you saw people say, this is the end of lean manufacturing. Well, I don't think so because Toyota is still a big fan of lean and they and and they weren't they were actually the car maker that came out of the pandemic the best and why it's because they learned from their 2011 uh, the Japanese earthquake and, and tsunami they learned that they they can't just cut everything they need to have strategic um, 
stockpiles of, of goods that like chips was the, was the example for the car makers. They needed to have a stockpile of those because it was so critical to the rest of all their production, which I think is a great example. Just going back to our conversation earlier of how things evolve. Right. And, um, just because they're a, a fan of lean doesn't mean that they need to have, you know, it wasn't just a cost cutting measure for them. They were really trying to find a way, um, to make their company better. And actually, it's it's funny, like when we talk about employment and treating people right, Toyota is a great employer, even in the US. I think they're like their goal, as is ours, is to have lifetime employees. And I, I was looking at the retention rates. This is, is, is kind of an indictment of what I do in my free time. I was The retention rates of their facility in Indiana are like really, really good. I, I like the average tenure is like 33 years or something. It was crazy. And and. So I think they're a great example of doing things right. Um, and uh, outside of HFW, I'd say Toyota is one of my favorite companies. Um, but I, I, we'll, we'll talk about the rest of We'll talk about my love of Toyota somewhere else since <laughs> we won't bore everyone here. Um, all right, Rich. I, I guess one last question I would have for you is you've been at HFW. Eight years in June. Eight years. What, especially as, as we're looking now, um, you know, there's a huge demand for machinists everywhere. What keeps you at HFW? What what is it that you like about HFW and and um, that I guess keeps you here and, and and happy? Well, you know, the other place I was at was thirty one years, and then it just became a mismanaged company. And my maybe it's outdated, old fashioned. My whole goal was I wanted to work one place forty years. That was it. And then I but came here and I knew a lot of guys that came here, and they said it was a great place to work, and it still is. And it just I like it. I liked. Um, familiarity of it, I guess you could say. It's like, I mean, I don't, I'm not just a person that bounces from job to job. I just kind of, I guess it's kind of like you said about the Japanese. It's like that way. It's like I wanted to work for a place for my whole career. Just, just was just me. It's just. Yeah. Well, I think obviously we've seen that change. We've seen it's more common to bounce around a little Correct. bit. Um, and I don't, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that, but I think we've we've tried to create an environment where um, people want to stay. And I think that's like the job of an employer is to how do you create an environment where people don't want to bounce around? Like I've seen the things where, you know, if you move around, um, you, you generally make more than if you stay. And I don't that's not right. You know, that's that's and that's why I think um, we as a company try to make sure that we're reviewing wages annually, at least sometimes even twice a year just to make sure that we can keep on pace and keep people happy. Cause uh, at the end of the day, I think it's easier for everyone to, to, for an employee to stay over a long period of time. It helps the company. And I think, you know, changing jobs all the time. Some people, I think you probably get used to it, but it's nice to kind of have, you know, not have to worry about the next place you're going to work or, um, I don't know. It's kind of nice for me. And I've only been here a little while, but I don't have to worry about continually updating my resume. Cause you know, I'm, I know I'm happy here and, and I think that, I don't know, I just think that treating people well and, and trying to be a good place to work, it works for the employee and it, and it works for the company. And I think that's that's been HFW's secret, I think, for well, 75 years. Well, I think if you enjoy your job, it's easier to stay, too. So Yeah. Well, and, and I know this, is, this has kept coming up. I'm talking to guys that are um, looking at different jobs and... You know, we're not being a production shop, I think helps a lot of it. Is, I couldn't do production. Oh, God, <laughs> that's no. what everyone says. Well, there's yeah. people that love it, but it's just, 
Yeah, it's it, it's it's definitely like I look at it. I, you know, I've got friends that, um, and and you know, a lot of the companies that come and recruit out of school are are all like these, you know, the big multinationals that, and it's all one hundred percent production. And so it, it is interesting to talk to them because their 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 norm and and what they're used to is very different from what we're dealing with here. But I know I, I, on a whole, I think for a machinist, it depends what you want. But I think one of the benefits of a, a job shop like we have here is just you know the the variation and the it's consistent but also it's different every day it challenges right. you yeah, i agree it's like every day let's be so about why i stay here it's like every you come in and you're comfortable with your work environment but it's also not the same job every day yeah it's so there's the variety but there's the familiar familiarity at the same time yeah that makes sense i mean that's and i think that's all trying now our job here we got devon sitting with us is 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 getting that word out there and and, and trying to for a long time i think we we kind of stuck to our guns and and had a it, you know word of mouth's been really good for us and it still is is i is I, I think word of mouth is our number one recruitment tool but now it's just getting out and and um trying to i think tell more people about what we're doing and show off that you can have a great career in manufacturing like we've talked about and make a great career out of it and then hopefully uh uh work for for the company for a long time and then at the end of it, um, be able to enjoy the nice retirement. I have no regrets about doing it for 40 years. I really don't. <laughs> that's awesome. And, and I just wonder how many people can say that. I, I think that's a good thing. And hopefully we can help build more people like you, Rich. I think that's just about everything. Is there anything else you want to add? No, I'm good. All right. Well, this has been a great episode. Um, I think Rich is, I, I'm trying to get everyone on the podcast. Some people I need to work on harder than others, but I was, I'm very thankful for you for coming on. I know, um, some people suggested you come on and I'm, I'm thankful to you for obliging. So with, it, was, it was fun. Yeah, well, that's good. I uh, tell everyone that you, that you said that. <laughs> so thanks. Thanks everyone for listening and we'll, we'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks.